Well, Easter is four weeks away. Can you, does it seem possible? Does it seem possible that we're in the month of March already? And like I said last week, I want some of your fondest or funny memories of past Easter's that you've had with family and friends and you can write them out or text them to me or email them to me and they might end up in a message in the next couple of weeks. But if you, as you remember from last week, we are tracing the last 48, 94 hours before the disciples discovered the empty tomb. Our countdown started last Sunday when we talked about the Last Supper. When Jesus gathered with his disciples for that Passover meal. After spending about four hours at this meal, Jesus and his disciples walked about a half a mile to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was at the bottom slope of the Mount of Olives. He spent about four hours there. Then he was arrested and after midnight and the next five hours he was before the Jewish Sanhedrin. The next morning he was taken to Pilate where he was tortured and then nailed to the cross for six hours until he died. It took them about an hour to remove his body and place it in the tomb. Jesus said over and over again that he would be in the tomb for three days and three nights. So that's where the final 72 hours are. Then on Easter Sunday morning, the disciples make the great, greatest discovery of all time. Jesus is alive. And he's alive forevermore. But let's not get ahead of ourselves in our hours. For this morning, we're going to trace the steps of Jesus from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. To get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would have to cross the Kendron Brook, which flowed in the valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. It was a narrow creek that one could just easily step over. The name Kindred means dark and gloomy. A thousand years earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see that King David crossed the same Kindred brook after being betrayed by his son Absalom. David the shepherd who became king crossed the Kindred brook with a heavy heart because of betrayal. On this night, Jesus, the king who is the great shepherd, crossed it with a heavy heart because he was being betrayed as well. The Jews never drank the water from the Kendron Brook because it carried the sewage from the upper city. And in addition, a trench had been dug from the temple mount so the excess blood from the animal sacrifices could flow down the stream. Nazarene theologian Richard Taylor wrote that the Kendron Brook often ran red with the blood of sacrifices. And we know on this night that there was a full moon because Passover always marked by a full moon. But by now it's completely dark. 
I can imagine as Jesus stepped over this brook, this river of blood. He saw the moon reflected on the dark surface. I wonder if he paused to consider that in less than 12 hours, his blood might be running down the slopes of this brook. The four hours in the Garden of Gethsemane were some of the most stressful moments in the earthly life of Jesus. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, maybe it's on your iPad or your phone, or maybe it's in the Bible in the front of the pew. But grab a Bible and let's turn to Mark chapter 14. And I believe it's going to be on the screen as well. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. Mark chapter 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Because of archaeologists who are much, much smarter than I am, we know exactly where the Garden of Gethsemane is. Today, the Mount of Olives haven't moved. Olive trees don't grow taller. They grow wider. They grow new roots and shoots and spread out. Massive ancient olive trees grow in this garden today that were there that night that Jesus prayed. If we were all to get into a plane and travel to Jerusalem and go to the church of all nations, that is where it has been built. We would be at the very spot Archaeologists tell us where Jesus prayed. There's a rough rock ledge about 10 feet by 10 feet that is called the Rock of Agony. Amanda, would you put up some pictures, please? I have some for us this morning. There is the Church of All Nations. 
That is exactly where Jesus prayed. Go to the next one. Right here is the rock of agony. And right back between the two red altars is a specific place where archaeologists tell us where Jesus prayed that night. Go to the next one, please. And there is Gethsemane. Let's leave that one up there for a while. <coughs> As we arrive and look into the Garden of Gethsemane, where and when Jesus prayed, we can see that Jesus faced three different emotions. Because these are the same emotions that we often face in our lives as we are on this journey of life. So let's look at these three emotions this morning. First, we see that Jesus agonized that night before the cross. I've heard of the Garden of Gethsemane all my life. But it was only a few years ago I learned the meaning of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a parable of what Jesus endured. For the olive tree is called the tree of life because it provides oil for light, medicine, food, and soap, and other things. To harvest olives, claws were spread under the branches, and then the harvesters took heavy sticks and beat those branches to make those olives fall onto the claws that were around them. This reminds me that Jesus was also beaten with rods, both by the Jewish guards and the Roman soldiers. The word Gethsemane comes from two Aramaic words that mean olive oil press. In those days, once the olives were gathered up, then the olives were placed in a stone press and a huge millstone crushed them into pulp. The first olive oil was called extra virgin olive oil and is, and was clear. But then the olive pulp was put into cloth bags and endured two more crushings using long presses weighed down with stones and sometimes a huge press driven by a wooden screw twisted very tight. The olives are crushed three times until no oil remains in the pulp. The final crushing of the olive pulp produces a thick, dark, oily, some say resembles blood. And Jesus prayed three times in this garden where olives would have been crushed. And in Luke 22, we read these words. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Here in Luke 22, Luke, he uses a medical term that is still used today. It's called hematrodotus. And it is blood mixed with sweat. It's been seen in patients who have experienced extreme stress or shock to their systems. The capillaries around the sweat pores become fragile and leak blood into their sweat. Jesus was on such, under such agonizing pressure that night. His scalp begins to ooze bloody sweat. Perhaps the most hated king in French history, history was Charles IX. Maybe you know of him. He was a Catholic priest or a Catholic king, and he ordered the St. Bartholomew's Massacre, in which over 10,000 French Protestants 
were killed. The stress from this guilt drove him crazy. He died at the age of 23 from this disease. How blood began to seep through his pores and he dies in agony. And this condition is rare because they say that most people will die from it. Think of how close to death Jesus was that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Second thing we see that Jesus wanting to move away from the cup he was about to face. In verse 41, we see that Jesus leaves his disciples and falls on his face. And and he prayed this amazing prayer. Abba, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. I think most of us this morning know that Abba was the most affectionate term a Jewish child ever used to their father. It means daddy or papa. So what Jesus is saying here in this prayer is, daddy, please, because you can do anything, I'm asking you to take this cup from me. This phrase to drink the cup meant to experience something. For if we remember in Mark chapter 10, Jesus asked James and John if they were able to drink of the cup that he was going to drink. He wasn't talking about the cup that was on the table there. He was referring to the experience of suffering and death. That night before the cross, Jesus looks into the cup and what he saw must have caused his blood to freeze up. The contents of this cup cause the Son of God to take a step back. So what did Jesus see in this cup? He saw a cup of isolation. Jesus saw the emotional pain in that cup. He knew he was going to die alone. You know, when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that Jesus loved being around people. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus said that the Pharisees criticized John the Baptist for living living in solitaire. They said that he must have had a demon in him. Jesus said the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He wanted to be around people. But the Pharisees labeled him a glutton. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And whether the Pharisees' claim was true or not, we do, we do know that Jesus loved to spend time with all kinds of people. All through Scripture, we see that it says that the common people heard him and believed in him. We know that early in his ministry, we see that there were thousands that were following him. Remember when he fed the 5,000 plus? Or the 4,000 at another place? Someone once said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool children at all. We see in Scripture many times where the children would come and come and sit on his lap and just be around him. And he would bless them and he would love on them. 
But as he got closer to the cross, the more alone he found himself. And as he began to talk about the demands of discipleship in his ministry, the crowds began to get smaller and smaller. And that night, he was down to only 12. Then one left to betray him. And then when that mob arrived that night, all of them turned and left him. I don't think anybody, anyone here this morning or anybody likes to always be alone all the time. For there are many people today and maybe in this room this morning who deal with the pain of loneliness. They spend night after night after night after night at home alone only in the company of a pet or a computer or a television or a book or something else. Jesus wants us to know today that he understands the pain of loneliness and isolation. We read these words in Mark chapter 15. The words of Jesus. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus was even forsaken and alone by his Abba father when he hung on that cross. The second thing he saw in that cup. He saw a cup of physical pain. We know that Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man as well. And as a man, he experienced physical pain just like you and I do. He had nerves running through his body. And as he looked into that cup, his humanity must have shaken the thought of the physical pain he was about to face. He knew how the rough hands would soon grab him and twist his arms behind his back. He knew he would be beaten upon, spit upon, and how his beard would be plucked from his face. He knew that a crown of thorns, those long, hard thorns, would be crushed down upon his head. He knew that those brutal soldiers would mock him and torture him. He knew that his back was going to be bare and his hands tied above his head at that whipping post. He could already hear that whistle from the cat of nine tails that would be whipping him through the air over and over and over again, hitting him with a thud and tearing into his back. He knew nails the size of railroad spikes would be driven into his hands and his feet and a spear would puncture into his side. He saw all that that night. And he said, please, daddy, take it away. Please take it away. I've never had major surgery in my life. But I've been told many times by patients when I go and visit them, or even afterwards, that the worst part of major surgery is waiting for it to happen. It's the waiting that is often worse than the experience itself. Just imagine what Jesus experienced that night on our behalf. As he was waiting for it all to take place. The third thing that Jesus saw in that cup was sinful shame. As terrifying as isolation and physical pain were, I believe neither of those came close to what Jesus experienced on a spiritual level. Remembering Jesus was God in the flesh, Jesus was sinless. 
Jesus was perfect. He never had a sinful thought or committed a sin. But in that cup, he saw all the sins of the world. He saw your sins and he saw mine. His holiness might have shuddered at the thought of drinking in all that shame. In all that disgrace. Can you remember this morning a time when you did something really bad? Don't bring up the details in your mind of that deed in your, of, that you did. But I just want you to recall the shame and the disgrace that you felt. Got it? Remember that feeling of filthy guilt that you had? Jesus never once felt that. But on Calvary's cross, he took on his body all the sins of the world. And I know that this morning most of us are pretty good people. But think about the worst criminals ever in the world. Consider every child abuser. Every rapist, every serial killer, everyone who has killed someone at a school or the one who who just shot someone in 58 people in Las Vegas recently. Every murderer in that cup was all the sickening, disgusting shame of every wicked act that mankind had done. And the Bible doesn't just say Jesus took our sins. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, for God took the sinless Christ, and poured into him our sins. He became our sins. Imagine this morning that you are standing in front of the most awfulest, smelliest container of warm, thick liquid. With the worst smell you have ever smelled in your life. This fluid in this container that's a large container has been infected with anthrax, smallpox, mad cow disease, every kind of cancer known to man and any other terrible bacteria as well as as well as rotting human flesh. And then sewage on top of that. Now imagine, if you will, being submerged into that liquid. You're at your ankles. You're at your knees. You're at your waist. You're at your shoulders now. It's going above your mouth. It fills your mouth up. It's now up to your nose. You can smell it so much. It's in your ears. It's covering your eyes. Sick yet? Now multiply that factor of how you feel. Plus 7.6 billion. And we may come close to understand what it was like for the Son of God. The sinless Son of God, to be immersed into the filth of our sin. Now maybe we can understand a little bit of why Jesus must have shuddered 
in horror when he looked into that cup. And yet, he still chose to go to the cross for you and I. So we see that Jesus agonized the night before the cross. We see Jesus wanting to move away from the cup as he was about to face. And third, we see Jesus finds peace because he surrendered to his father. Just as those olives were crushed three times, Jesus returned to pray the same prayer three times. And each time he begged his father saying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Did you catch the turning point there in that prayer? It's when Jesus said, Abba, Father, you know what I want. My desire is to take this cup and throw it away as far as I can. I want to avoid the loneliness, the pain and the disgrace. But Father, because I love your will more than mine. I'll do what your will is. Besides adding the detail about his sweat falling like drops of blood. Luke also writes in chapter 22 of Luke. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Amanda, if you'll put that picture up now. There it is. Thank you. This famous painting is by the artist Carl Block. It captures this moment. We don't know what the angel said or did. We just know that he gave Jesus strength. Maybe he said to Jesus, your father loves you and this is why he sent you here. Or maybe he said, don't worry, Lord. If you decide you need me, there are 12 legions of us who will come this instant you call. But what we do know. According to scriptures, when Jesus returned the third time, he had found peace. His head was held high. There was a fire in his eyes. He was saying, go ahead, devil, hit me with your best shot. What a crushing Gethsemane experience that Jesus faced. But the question for us today is, what is our Gethsemane? Where are we struggling in? Where are we struggling at in our lives? In our marriage, our health, our job, a temptation that we face? You name your Gethsemane. What crushing challenges are you facing this morning as you came to the Lord's house? Whatever shape or form your Gethsemane may take, what are you going to do as you face this thing that you're facing? I want to encourage all of us this morning to do exactly what Jesus did. Jesus stopped what he was doing and he prayed his way through victory. When we face a challenge, the first thing we must do. Or what is the first thing we must do? Maybe we received a letter or a text or an email at one time with the letters ASAP. As soon as possible. Return it as soon as possible. Let me give you another meaning for ASAP. Always stop 
and pray. Remember, Jesus prayed not once, but three times. That reminds us that we must continue in prayer for the needs that we bring to him. Jesus was so burned that Matthew said in chapter 26, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. Have you been so burdened about something or someone that you fall on your face in prayer? Many times I have come into this sanctuary. I have fell on my face in this front of this church and in the back of the church and in the middle of this church asking for his direction, his healing on his people. I've been asking for his will. Prayer should not be our last resort. It should always be our first resort. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I've prayed. I've prayed for years. I've prayed many times about this issue or that person. Then may I ask you, have you taken the next step that Jesus took? Have you surrendered your will to God? Jesus prayed, take this cup away from me. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way. Get me out of this mess, God. Maybe this morning you're asking God to change your circumstances. To get you out of the mess that you're in. But you know what? Oftentimes he's more interested in changing and transforming us. We want him to fix the problem, but he wants to fix us. Jesus never hesitates to ask God for what he wants. So we too must always add, Abba, Father, Daddy, not my will, but your will be done. Can you think of another garden in the Bible? On the first few pages of Scripture, we read about the Garden of Eden. God put two people there and he shared his good and perfect will with them. But Eve and Adam put their will over God's will. And it led to separation from God for all the people. They both said to God, we know your will is not to eat of the fruit. But it's what we really want to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus is called the last Adam. We know the first Adam was in the Garden of Eden. This last Adam, Jesus, was was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he surrendered his will to his heavenly father that night. And it led to a redemption for all of us. Glory! Because he did that, we can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we all know this morning that we face the same choices every day. My will or God's will. And we need to choose my will or God's will. And then we need to do what Jesus did. We need to trust God's perfect plan. God had a plan for Jesus. In Revelation chapter 13, it says, He is a Lamb of God slain from the foundation 
of the world. The cross was always God's plan. Yes, it was scary and intimidating to Jesus, so he hesitated, but he decided to trust his Abba Father and his plan. God has a plan for your life and for mine as well. Adrian Rogers once said, God's will is what you choose, you would choose for your life if you had enough sense to choose it. Jesus faced the crushing of Gethsemane. But he prayed. He surrendered his will to God and he trusted God's perfect plan. After praying the third time, Jesus returned and said, rise, let us go. For Jesus turned to face that approaching mob. And I heard someone say recently there are two ways to spell fear. F-E-A-R. It can mean forget everything and run. And that's what a lot of us do. When we face a challenge in our way that we don't want to face head on. We fear everything and we run. But Jesus spells fear a totally different way. Face everything and rise. I like that a whole lot better. So it's either forget everything and run or face everything and rise. Where are you this morning? Are you ready to fear everything and run? Or are you willing to trust God and face everything that comes your way today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and rise? If you are willing to trust God and face everything and rise, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. If you're willing to trust God and face everything, no matter what comes in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if the worship team will make their way up front. We sang earlier, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And if those are more than just words on a screen or on a piece of paper, then I want you to invite, invite you to join the worship team and sing in this song again. I'm no longer a slave to fear.